We are continuing our series on the Gospel of John, looking tonight at John 5, the first 15 verses. Actually, we'll go all the way to 18. Page 866, the black books uh, in front of you, around you, are the Bibles. Pull one of those out, and we will read uh, John 5, page 866 in the Pew Bibles, and you may find it helpful to keep it open during the message. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Beth Zatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, He said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, take up your mat and walk. At once, the man was made well. He took up his mat and began to walk. Now, that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, The man who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is still working, and also I am working. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, thereby making himself equal to God. This is the word of the Lord. So to get an idea of the setting in which this miracle happens, I want you to picture the Calvin College pool, which some of you know intimately. I want you to picture the pool, but expand it so that the water goes all the way to the walls, both lengthwise and widthwise. That's how big this pool was. And one end of the pool, it had a portico, like a bulkhead. Some of you will understand that term from the pool. Between the places. So there was like old pool here, and then they added on, they expanded, and they made the giant pool, and it was like 20 feet deep in some places. It held a lot of water. And it had these great porticos around the edge, not unlike what we have around here, but they were up on pillars, they had roofs, it let the breeze in, and every hot climate loves a pool. And so this was a very popular place for people to hang out. They loved to hang out by the pool. And this particular pool had a reputation as being a place of healing. It was said that every now and then an angel would come and stir up the water, and if you were the first one in the water, you'd be healed. Whether that ever happened, we have no idea. But that was a reputation. And scholars also point out that over the years, as Jerusalem changed hands and different religious bodies came to be in possession of the pool, 
it was still thought to be a place of healing. So that's where Jesus finds this man. Now this man had been paralyzed for 38 years. And I was reading the writings of a scholar, a biblical scholar, who himself is in a wheelchair. And he pointed out that this man would have had to go everywhere on his hands, dragging himself along through the dirt, through animal leavings, through all of it. So his hands would be worn, scarred. He pointed out that he probably had to beg for everything that he got. And being a paralytic himself, a paralyzed man himself, he said he may not have even had bladder or bowel control, which would have led to significant hygiene problems, all of which would have made him an outcast. Not allowed in the temple, someone people wouldn't go near, they wouldn't touch, maybe they'd toss a coin his way, but that'd be it. So it's to this man lying at the edge of the pool that Jesus walks up and says, do you want to be made well? Now, I don't think this is a trick question. I think Jesus is generally asking, like, do you want to be made well? And the the implication is, because I can do that for you. Do you want to be made well? And maybe some of you have had this question as part of the Jesus question study you've been doing. And I'm guessing that most of you came up with yes. Yes, I would like to be healed. Not that complicated. Would you like to be healed? Yes, I would. That would be lovely. I've been waiting 38 years to be healed. This guy gives an excuse. Would you like to be healed? Nobody's here to help me get in the magic water. It's like, really? And that's our first glimpse that this particular man, not very impressive. He's not not a beloved biblical character, this guy. First he gives Jesus this excuse, and then when Jesus heals him like he loses him in the crowd, who was that masked man? And then when the Jews say to him, well, who told you to pick up the mat? He's like, "Um, the, the guy, the guy who healed me, he told me to pick up the mat. And then later, he tattles out Jesus to them. This is not a man of sterling character. This man is unimpressive. But he's not the only one in the story who comes off as unimpressive, is he? The Jews don't look very good. The Judean, Jerusalem Jews, they see the man, he's walking with his mat, and they say, hey, why are you walking with your mat? And he said, well, the guy who healed me told me to pick it up and, like, walk with it. And they don't ask, oh, what? Someone healed you? Tell us that story. We want to know everything about it. Everybody, come on over. Listen up. you got to hear this guy. This guy was healed. All right, go, go. What happened? Instead, they say, who told you to take up your mat? And, and you just want to go, like, missing the point. Missing the man walking, walking now, used to be paralyzed, now walking, pay attention, pay attention, not getting it, missing all of it, paying attention to the wrong things, focusing on themselves, majoring in the minors. The man is doing it, the Jews are doing it. And the truth is, religious people are really good at this. 
we are really good at majoring in the minors. Personal example, every time we sing Jesus Be the Center, and we get to the chorus where it's like, nothing else matters, nothing in this world. I always think, that's not right. That's not right. Everything matters. If Jesus is the center, everything matters. Everything we do matters. Every square inch. Heard of this? Everything matters. If Jesus is the center, everything matters. That's why we're here. That's why we say you can be a Christian and study everything because everything matters. So in the moment where Jesus is like, hey, should I be the center? I'm like, let me just tell you how this song bothers me. <laughs> you all have yours. Everybody's got theirs. Everybody's got their moment. Everybody's got their thing. We're so fussy. We're so particular. And we, we have this way of thinking that our preferences matter more than anybody else's preferences. And you see this when, when students start to go out and look for different churches, and I hear them talking about where they've gone. And, you know, we have a plethora of churches in Grand Rapids, which means we can be fussy. And so we go like Uber Goldilocks and the church hunt. It's like, well, that one gets way too, that starts way too early, and that one has uncomfortable chairs, and I don't know about the music over there, and that's too far of a drive. And the preaching there is kind of, man, I don't really know. They use styrofoam cups. I'm not going there. <laughs> too close? Too close? <laughs> we have all these things that we do where it's like, I'm not quite so sure I'm buying into any of y'all's churches. And then we also judge other Christians for the way they do Christian. Your service is done in an hour? Your service goes more than three hours? <laughs> you pray out loud in restaurants? You never pray in restaurants? You go to chapel all the time? You never go to chapel? We have all these ways of assessing whether or not people are doing the Christian thing right. Because we're pretty sure if everybody did it our way, everybody's lives would be so much better. Because we're pretty sure that our way gets you the most God points. And everybody knows it's all about the God points. Go to chapel, God points. Go to loft, God points. Go to church, block, block. Get them, get them, get them, go to hot. Work it into every essay, Jesus, every square inch, God points. I can do it. And we get all obsessed. Am, am I getting enough God points? And we even look around and say, oh, I bet she's got a ton of God points. She's just way better at this Christian thing than I am. I'm failing you, Jesus. And we can just like get down on ourselves. Because we're like, I have not earned enough God points. And that goes all in here. And our vision gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's what had happened to this people in the story. The man's idea of how God would appear was narrowed down to the movement in a pool of water. That's how God was going to show up. So when God showed up and stood next to him and said, do you want to be made well? He was like, yeah, but it's the water. 
It's all about the water. And the Jews were so focused on everybody's got to be passionate about the things that we are passionate about just exactly in the same way we are passionate about them that when Jesus showed up and he was like, okay, I'm just going to shake it up a little bit. They were like, (laughs) they couldn't deal with it because they wanted God to appear the way they wanted him to appear. The Messiah was supposed to fit certain categories and look a certain way and he didn't and so they missed him. Their fields of vision had become so small that when God showed up, they missed him. But Jesus shows up anyway. Isn't this awesome? Like, so far in John, every healing story, every miracle story, the person has seemed in some way deserving. Right? The person in some way, like, asked for it or wanted it or you could see how it blessed people and this one this guy's just lying there and Jesus is like healed Jesus shows up anyway I know you're going to totally miss this but here we go Jesus does what Jesus is going to do even if they don't get it even if they don't see it Because if they had been paying really close attention, they would have seen that the things that he was doing aligned perfectly with what they thought God did on the Sabbath. You see, Jewish teaching held that when God rested on the seventh day, he didn't stop doing everything and be like, y'all on your own. But there were two things he continued to do. Rule and give life. Rule and give life. That God continued to do these things on the Sabbath. And so we see Jesus come in on the Sabbath into a place where the rule of God was not functioning. And he rules over this created body and he brings it life. And in a moment, we can imagine that the the muscles of the man's legs grew thick And for the first time in 38 years, he could feel his toes. And he brushes away a fly because he can finally feel it on his legs. And he stands up. Because Jesus did what Jesus does. He rules and he gives life. And he goes into the temple and Jesus finds the guy. Did you notice that? Jesus finds the guy. The guy hasn't been looking for him, apparently. We don't know, but not hard. Now, thankfully, the guy has one redeeming feature, and that is he went to the temple, the temple where he wasn't allowed to go for 38 years. It's one of the first places he goes. Jesus finds him in the temple and says two things. First, he looks at him. He's like, hey, you've been made well. You're all better. That's awesome. Looking good. The second thing he says to him is, stop sinning or worse things are going to happen to you. Now, people have read this through the years and they've been like, so I'll see, you know, if if something happens to you, if you break an arm or something, it's because you were sinning because that's that's the connection here. No, not the connection. Just so we're clear. Do our sins have consequences? Yes. Are they that direct? Not always. And we're going to see when we do a story in a few weeks from John 9 where, where Jesus says, yes, yeah, the personal act, the agency of sin wasn't involved 
healing in the person's blindness at all. So why does Jesus say it now? Because Jesus knew this person. And he knew this person's heart. And maybe this person had spent 38 years manipulating people. Getting them to feel sorry for him. How do you survive 38 years in the first century as a paralyzed person? Maybe he was accustomed to stealing. Maybe he was accustomed to lying. Maybe these were the things. Or maybe it was a big stupid accident, a result of his sin 38 years ago that ended up with him paralyzed. We don't know. But Jesus does. And Jesus is looking at the man and he's saying, now stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. So we have the like, hey, you look awesome. You're well. That's great. Stop sinning lest something's going to happen to you. Do you see the two categories that these things fall in? He's giving life. You look great. You're a heel. Look at you. Walking around in the temple. And he's ruling. He's saying, you have a chance now to live your life differently than you've lived it before. Giving life, ruling. You could also see this as grace and truth. Because that's what Jesus does when he shows up. He brings grace and he brings truth. He does what the Jews have taught that God does on the Sabbath. He brings grace and truth. He brings liveliness and ruling. He brings them in. And so when he says to the Jews, my father is always working, so I'm always working, that's what he's talking about. He, he's like, look, signals. I am laying them all out for you here. Pay attention. My father's working. I'm working. That's what Jesus does. Jesus is going to do what Jesus is going to do whether we pay attention or not. Wouldn't you rather be paying attention? Wouldn't you rather be paying attention and like get to see what he's up to in the world? This again, not a trick question. The question for us is the same one. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to have your vision enlarged so that instead of shrinking down and judging other people, your vision goes grand and you say, what is Jesus up to here? So when you're singing a song and you get stuck on the lyric and you don't know why we sing that lyric, how about you take a time out and you listen to Jesus? Because he's going to say things like, isn't it great that you get to sing this song with all these people who also love me? Also, isn't this lyric convicting you that I am not the center of your life at this moment, which is why you're obsessed about this lyric? Personal. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like Jesus to say, isn't it amazing that you have all of these different houses of worship that you can go to, all of these different kind of Christians around the world, and doesn't it sound like a little bit of truth when he says, now pick one and get invested. You can't complain if you're not working. You've got to love the church from the inside. Grace and truth. And it's Jesus who comes when we're about ready to judge somebody, and he says, hang on, hang on. You don't know that person's story. 
You don't know their pain. Don't think that they're better than you or worse than you. Love them. That's how Jesus shows up. Jesus does the Jesus things, whether we pay attention or not. So why don't we pay attention? Why don't we call it out? I think that's a Jesus thing. I think Jesus is saying that to me. Because Jesus does what Jesus does, and it's not up to us. You are saved by the grace of Jesus. It's not up to you. The only person keeping track of God points is you. No one else cares. There's no way to be a better Christian or a worse Christian. You're just a Christian. You're just following Jesus, and we're all doing the best we can at the moment. Are some days better than others for me? Yes. Are some days worse? Yes. Am I still following after Jesus? Yes. Because thankfully, it doesn't depend on my behavior one day or another, just like it didn't depend for the invalid on what he said or what he did or a proclamation of faith. Jesus just did what Jesus does. Jesus saves because that's who he is. Jesus extends grace to you because that's who he is. You don't have to earn it. There is no midterm. There will be no tests. You just get it. The grace and truth of Jesus just come to us. And sometimes we're blind and sometimes we're going to miss it. But isn't it a whole lot more fun when we pay attention? So what if we became a campus where we paid attention? What if we became a campus that said, yeah, this is, this is better than Planet Fitness No Judgment Zone because this is like a full of grace zone. This is the place where we say, you're going to that church? That is awesome. I love that church. When we leave a church, we say, that is great. Those people love Jesus. When we see somebody doing their devotions, we're like, bless that person. Way to go. And we don't feel guilty that we haven't done ours yet. When we see people going to chapel on a Tuesday and we're walking to the the coffee shop on a Tuesday, we don't feel guilty because we're not going to chapel. We say, bless those people. I hope that God meets them in powerful ways as they need it today. And as we're going to chapel, we don't look at the coffee shop people and say, "Uh, (laughs) better than them. We say, they probably need a little caffeine, they need a little relationship time, so God be with them in the coffee shop. We're going to be that kind of campus. We're going to be the kind of campus that says we're going to make space because we think Jesus shows up in lots of different ways. And we want to be people who pay attention. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, that you just do the Jesus things. Forgive us when we're not paying attention. Forgive us when our vision becomes narrow and small. Forgive us when we think we have to earn God points to get the grace, to get the truth. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you call us into wholeness and into healing. Thank you that you call us as a Calvin College community to be a place of grace, a place of truth, a place where we celebrate what you are doing. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that as we go into this evening, as we go into this week, open our eyes.
so that we can see you, Jesus, full of grace and truth. In your name we pray, amen.